live for another episode of First Strike, the first episode of year 2018. Really excited for the host, the co-host that I have with me today. But before we start the show, I got to plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic the Gathering singles. And now we got Rolo. Uh, People thought that some people who don't listen to the show regularly thought that you may have quit the show because I said, finally, I'm reunited with you. But uh, (laughs) it's just that I feel... One week and a half. It's just it's just been too long, man. I miss you, buddy. How's it going, buddy? There wasn't even an episode that I missed. We just didn't do any shows over the break. <laughs> I mean, it landed. I, I I was wrong though in our in our staff chat about how we skipped. We never skipped a week, but this the way it lined up. The fact that Christmas Day and New Year's Day was exactly on Monday, yeah, made it really hard. And the fact that Wizards, I just forgot we recorded our show on Monday or or. There's only one. They don't, they don't care. There's only one preview week uh, compared. I think there's there's multiple weeks before, and there's been chat like at work where there, there's only been one week, and so naturally they couldn't give it to us on Monday and move it to Thursday, and that's why we're recording it on Thursday. And we'll have for people just waiting for for the preview card. We're gonna have it, of course, near the end of the show, which is less than an hour. Or so whatever uh, on the show with us is. Mr. Trophy Hunter himself, Derek Pite, how's it going? Derek, uh, I didn't even know that they branded your series, Keith Capstick, branded your series like trophy hunting or video, videos. Yeah, it was, uh, it was all his idea. Um, I, don't, uh, I don't like to brag too much. That's not me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Videos. I'm glad, glad to have you on the show, especially since you're planning to go to GB Toronto, so try to get your thoughts on maybe some modern or even standard implications uh, heading into the GP uh, with the, with some of the new cards of the new set. And of course we've got one of my friends. We've had him on the show before. Someone I consider a very close friend of mine. We both finished in in top five of of a team GP once (laughs) a long time ago. And now he's constantly, I mean, before I'm like tweeting at wizards, like give this guy more exposure because he deserves it. But now he's always being tweeted, I see his picture all the time being plugged by Watsy. It's getting tiring. How's it going, Travis Sowers? Good to see you too, KYT. <laughs> but every time, I hope you notice, every time they post like eight people, I'm just like, the guy on the top left, that's my man. And it's always you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so actually, we're going to be talking about uh, spoilers, of course, a lot of the new preview cards and what we think about them. Um, maybe if we have time, some of the, our opinions on some Twitter drama. Uh, but before that, Travis, while we have you on the show, I just want to know how it's been going uh, streaming because you've decided to, like, let's say, Numatanami, make Twitch streaming a big part of your life. And we've, we've had some private convos about how you needed to you know, hit a certain target to make sure that it's viable for you. So how has streaming been for you in 2017? Streaming magic, considering... It's like a landscape where there's a lot of competition, frankly. It is, and the audience is a little smaller than it needs to be. I'm, I'm hopeful that there's some things in the future that will change that. But as far as how 2017 went, it was great. That was the year that this went from subsidizing a hobby to I actually have a career. And like when people outside of here ask me, hey, what do you do? I'm not embarrassed to talk about it. So we, we got to the point that I'm very comfortable streaming and streaming full time. I've still got a lot of growth to go and a, a lot of plans to do that. But 2017 is the best year I've ever had. Uh, and I'm hopeful that this one will surpass it. 
have you stuck to the, to the same formula or have you discovered things that worked for you more to, to get those extra subs? Is there anything you've learned? Because every time you go, uh, and we've talked about this, if uh, and other people from other games have talked about this, how uh, sometimes they have to schedule around some of the top streamers or else you know they're doomed. So have you gained any secret strategies over the last year? The biggest one for me was telling my viewers what my goals were and how they could help was communicating that. So I, I don't necessarily have the same um, viewer count that some of the bigger streamers have, right? Like Kenji fires up or LSV fires up. They're going to have more viewers than me. And a key component of this, too, is like I, I'm a married guy. I want to have my evenings to spend with my wife. So I, I don't really care who else is streaming. This is when I'm streaming, too. So with that smaller, but I think very loyal audience and telling them, hey, guys, this is where I need to be. Let's see if we can make it happen. I'd encounter people that would like go out and tell their friends to come watch, you know, or I'd get hosts from a lot of smaller streams, you know, somebody that maybe has 10 viewers, which doesn't sound like a lot. But when they bring those over, we've kind of built a little community that's grown from there. So my my strategy was I, I feel like I could have gone the route that some other people did, which is like, OK, when does. Kenji or, or whoever end their stream, I'm going to fire up 30 minutes before that. But for me, it was, I, I want this to be what I'm doing from nine to five. And I was super happy to have accomplished that. Really excited. And now you're, you're picking more steam. I feel like before maybe you were sort of neglected by, by YC, uh, not getting the attention you deserve. But now you're, you're, you're being, well, hey, my opinion only, my opinion. Don't give me that face. Uh, <laughs> But now you're you're being featured on, on many streamer showdown. Almost all of them. Can you tell us more about them. Like what are they all about, and and what's the next one all about? Streamer showdowns are awesome. It's if you haven't watched one before, it's a Twitch event where they'll have a draft, and all eight of the drafters are streaming, and they're all streaming it simultaneously. So you can kind of see it from different perspectives. You can multi Twitch and watch it all at once. I'd suggest muting it if you're going to do that, or you can go back and watch it from everybody's perspective. It, it's good quality entertainment. And a lot of times they come around a set launch. So it's a good way to see a bunch of people playing a set and get a real feel for a draft. The one that's actually coming up next is the, the one I'm most excited about. And I was super happy to get involved in this. Although when I tell you what time I go live, you'll understand that there was a little bit of an order and who got to pick where. I'm just happy I was on the list. But starting on January 11th, 10 a.m. Pacific time, you can do. Uh, Rivals of Ixalan sealed for 24 hours. What? So that's before it comes out in in paper. It's like a pre-release that you can do online only. So anybody can play this. You can play this. All of you guys can play this. I'd encourage you to do so. During this league, the Magic Channel will be hosting other channels that are streaming it in two-hour slots. So in the beginning, we've got Amaz, Gabby Sparks, Loading Ready Run, Kenji, uh, when we get down to, to 2 o'clock in the morning, we've got Travis. <laughs> we've got Travis. So, I'm, How does your wife feel about this? <laughs> she's 100% on board. It's uh, 2 o'clock Pacific time, so it's actually 5 a.m. here. It just means I'm getting up about an hour or two earlier than I normally would be. So we'll fire up, have some coffee, and, and stream this format before anybody else you know, can do it. Like Again, you can hop online and play this yourself, but the... The big deal with this one is the Magic Channel hosting me. So if they can bring some new viewers, that would be fantastic. So this is, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the first time the official Magic stream will start rotating um, in and out 
Oh, how would that work if you're mid-match at the end of your, your two-hour slot? Doesn't doesn't matter? It doesn't matter if they'll switch it to the next person. And, like, I can continue streaming it, and anybody that wants to stay and hang out with me can. But when it rolls to 4 o'clock and it's Conley's turn, like, the host will go over there. Okay. Sweet. So I, I think this is a great idea. Like, they're basically showcasing 12 streamers, right, over the course of this 24-hour period. And there's a, a lot of great people involved. I'm just I'm beyond tickled that I got invited to this. And like when, when the roster came out and there, you know, there's only so many slots. I'm like, any of them, any of them. I'm good. Just get me in. (laughs) (laughs) So this is the first time 24 hours before you get to jump in some sealed action. Is that what you said? And like, what are the, the prices are roughly the same or are they charging up the wazoo for, for this privilege? (laughs) This is actually pretty decent prize payout. Um, It's 30 event tickets or 300 play points. So it's a little bit more than your average sealed would be. Uh, three wins breaks you close to even. Uh, it's, it's four rounds with six boosters and a QP. Four wins is 10 packs and two QPs. Two wins is three. And even if you don't like win anything, you're still going to walk away with a booster. Also, the cards would be standard legal pretty darn quick. Um, so if you're playing in these and you're not building your collection, you have these to sell. Sell them as fast as you can. Uh, they should be fetching a premium during the course of this event. You said 24 hours before, so you can have, if you're one of those people that jam midnight pre-releases, you could have have many seals under your belt before you, you play one. Yep. Rob, what do you think? Are you going to jam some uh, 24-hour sealed? Probably maybe like one, I guess. I don't know. I, I don't have a lot of time. Like, I'm at work all day. <clears throat> I'll probably get home like seven or eight after I put the kid to bed. So, uh, yeah, I, I, it's what, four rounds, you said, Travis? Four rounds, yes, four sir. Round so it, I remember when, uh, you know, in the golden age of online pre-releases, there used to be sweet uh, four-round on-demand events that had uh, awesome prize payout, and I would, like, triple or quadruple queue them uh, just to max value. <laughs> it's unfortunate that I can only do one, uh, but uh, I, I still think it's a good idea. I mean, as long as the cards are not bugged, I think it'll be fine. <laughs> So does that mean that the set goes offline until Monday and then they, they have the online pre-release again? Uh, they haven't been doing actual online pre-releases. They've just been launching the leagues. And I'm honestly not sure what the schedule is after that. I know that Cube's running for about another week and a half. So I'd imagine that we get to play it, then it's gone, then it comes back. But I'm not 100% on that. That's fair. No, this is good. As far as midnight real-life pre-releases go, those things need to go away. They're That's the terrible. Way. Just Watsy, please, someone from Watsy, please listen, or someone tweet at someone from Watsy. Just have the FNM on the Friday. That's the pre-release event. And then you don't have to have them stupid midnight event. It's just like no one goes to that FNM anyways. Just make it a stupid pre-release event. So easy and logical. I just it hurts my head. <laughs> I think they did this for uh Unstable actually, right? And it was like kind of a success, so Maybe that was their testing ground. So hopefully uh, the set after rivals, they, they go to that format. It's just like such a waste to have the midnight, like the first event be a, a midnight release uh, instead of just F&M. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are proud to be degenerates. So well, sure. Like right. if the store wants to run at midnight, go nuts, right? But you already have this dead space between 6 and 10 p.m. Like no one's in the store. <laughs> Who wants to play the old set when the new set's coming out in six hours? 
Yeah, they're just hanging out. A lot of them were just hanging out and waiting for midnight. You're right. Like, yeah. they, they just don't cost really care. the store like an extra four or five hours of labor as well, right? Because like they need to be open during their normal hours and pretend like they're going to run F and M. Then they shut down for an hour and then reopen until five or six a.m. It's just, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's very stupid, and they should change it. <laughs> and rant. <laughs> Derek, are you going to smash some uh, rivals of Ixalan sealed? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, me and a couple guys are going to GP Indianapolis. Uh, so I'll probably play one or two, learn the cards, and then talk about archetypes. And then we'll probably in person break down some team seals. But uh. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> Righty. Before we, we move on to some of the new cards, uh, Travis told us pre-show that uh, he's been he's been trying MTG Arena and loving it. Um, now, please tell I, us why. I, I can't actually talk about it uh, because there's an MDA or MDA. Oh man, I'm, I'm so bad at this. <laughs> Derek <laughs> laughing at me. <laughs> so I, I can say that all of the content I've seen looks great. Um, and I'm very excited to be able to talk about it more in the future to play it like the, the Christmas gift I was hoping is that wizards would say, Hey, go ahead and start streaming. You know, you're, you're all in, have some fun. And I anticipate that that will be coming soon, probably early in this year. That, that's, that's me being wishful thinking. Um, but everything I've seen looks fantastic. I'm very excited about it. I, I think that may be the thing that magic needs to draw a bigger audience. And I mean, this is selfish, right? Um, with me as a Twitch streamer. But like one of the things I've noticed recently is my viewership was down. Um, it was spiked way up in November, and then it shot way down in December. And I'm like, why could that possibly be? And I, I think I figured it out. You've got like 10 people streaming Magic during the day. Half of them are streaming Constructed. Half of them are streaming Limited. And a lot of my viewers, when I talk to them, they don't actually play Magic online. They play paper, right? So they want to watch me draft whatever the paper set is. Now that we've switched to Cube, all 10 Magic streamers are streaming Cube, and anybody that doesn't play on Magic Online really isn't super interested in that. They're like, what are all these old cards? Why do I care about this? What is this even about? So we're, we're kind of at that lull set. So I, I, I think one thing we could use is people that are interested specifically in the digital products that Magic offers, and I, that's, that's why I'm so excited about Arena, is I think that it can bring in more people, because you really don't need to have a background in Magic to fire up Arena and start playing and get it. Whereas Magic Online, you kind of can't even find it unless you've played Paper Magic first. Hmm. You said, like, you've always been a limited streamer since, like, <laughs> I met you. And we've seen, I guess, it, the, the parallel is not the same. Like, we, we talked about on this show either last episode or two episodes ago about how when Magic streams a GP and you compare the limited to constructed numbers, huge gap. Mm -hmm. Do you think you would be more, a lot more successful streaming constructed or you don't think so? Or it doesn't work like that for uh, your type of audience? I don't think so. I've tried streaming constructed, specifically modern. I got into a while where I was playing Jund and there were people that were there and interested specifically in modern and wanted to watch that. But I think I've cultivated an audience of people who are primarily interested in limited. So that's kind of what they're looking for when they show up. But I, I do dip into Constructed, and I haven't noticed a huge spike in my numbers when I do so. I, I think a lot of the people who are watching the GPs, like, I'm a huge fan of Limited, but Limited can be a little bit more boring to watch when you can't hear the thoughts of the person who's playing going through the plays. 
right? Like I can watch a constructed event and with very little knowledge of the format, like I'm kind of looking at these two decks clash and I'm interested in the draws. I'm interested in how the cards interact and in limited, like that aspect of the strategy isn't there, right? Like they can't really see me draft if, if I'm in a GP and say, I'm picking this card because of this, or if it's a sealed GP, I want to see the deck construction, like put a camera behind, you know, Reed Duke while he's building his deck and mic him and have him talk me through it. I will tune in for that. But just seeing him play against, you know, some other pro, it's like I, I, I could figure out most of those lines on my own. Right. So I, I think that's that's kind of where that draw comes from. Hmm. Gotcha, Travis. Like, what are you looking for when you watch a, 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 a limited streamer? You want to hear their thoughts about the cards. You want to hear why they're doing something that you might not. Are they seeing a line that you don't? And you, you, I, I feel like you can't really get that from coverage currently. I watched your stream portion, for you. <laughs> the, the draft portion is usually the most interesting, right? Because <clears throat> the commentators actually provide some value there. Like, if they have good good people in the booth anyways. Yeah. And, and they can have a good discussion about what's in the pack and what to pick based on uh, what's been picked or whatever. And I think, like, when I was watching uh, limited streamers uh, on Twitch or whatever, I was mostly uh, tuning in for, like, you know, how do people rate cards and where are they picking them? Because, like, the gameplay stuff is fine, but I find that if you're watching a stream, there's depending on who it is, it's difficult to really like pick up technical skills from watching that. Like you really need to focus that on like do that yourself in a more close setting. I think to be effective, like watching the games is definitely entertaining, but not for like the level up, right? <laughs> the real deep knowledge. It's just like happenstance if they get into a situation that's like a teachable moment, right? But every pick could be a teachable moment um, when you're going through the pack. So there's, there's just like a lot more uh, likelihood that there's value for the, the watcher um, or, or the viewer, I guess. So maybe for limited GPs or, or uh, um, streamed events, they can just like focus much more on the draft portion and a lot less on the rounds. Like I would be fine if 80% of the hour and a half or no, I guess it's like three and a half hours, right? So if 80% of that time was just reviewing, like just going draft after draft, watching people uh, make picks, and then like the last 20%, they just kind of like speed through some matches to, to show you kind of how like uh, certain players that you tuned in to watch kind of played out and where they ended up. Because a lot of people, yeah, are like, you know, don't really care. It's like, yeah, that looks like a busted red green deck, and assuming he doesn't get mana screwed, he's probably going to win. <laughs> most yeah. of his games or whatever right they can almost have a highlight reel of like here's the big moments in this matchup yeah exactly show us those and move on yeah i the think it's much more entertaining i think it'd be super interesting if they videotaped like every draft like the top eight draft and then like posted all the videos and then you could look through who picked what card in what order and like was that correct because like like you watch like if pascal maynard's goif pick for example right like it, it's really controversial but like if he took the burst lightning instead and you like go through the rest of the packs like 2020 hindsight like is that the right pick and like is this the right signals he's sending and is he picking up the right ideas and it's like it's probably the 
the most extreme of the circumstance. But I think if they did that for GPs, it would be a lot more interesting, a lot more teachable compared to like just showing people jamming their like 18th picks into 20th picks sort of thing. They used to do that for some events, but I don't know like what their selection process was. But they had draft viewers where like all eight people have their picks recorded, and and it's I don't know they had some sort of website where you could go and and like switch players and look at picks and and watch cards move around the table and stuff. Yeah, like they're, they're posting deck lists now, and they post like deck lists for constructed, which is a lot deeper. But like when you look at drafting, like like when did you get this five? Out no, of they seven? show that. No, they used right. to show that. There was there was yeah, a website that would now. show it. But like they don't do it now, is what I'm saying, right? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I stopped looking at that stuff a little while ago. <laughs> Even then, it could have been done better. I, I do remember that site, and like you could go through and like kind of, sort of understand a draft, but it, it took so long, and there was no commentary with it. You could just see what they picked. Like if yeah. you're going to have expert level, like you know, I, I think Marshall is a great commentator, and I that like him talking about limited is fantastic. I'd love to hear him talk over the picks that these people are taking. Like that's that's content I would love to watch. All right, let's let's change gears a bit and jump into uh, some people still. There actually are still standard PPTs coming up, um, surprisingly, even though pre-release. Uh, I think this this weekend has to be the last week, and some you know shoutouts to my man Brian Sue who uh, linked me uh, this Boros list, uh, white red by I guess Caboose, uh, C A B O O. S3, who, who has 5 owed three uh, standard leagues in a row with this list. So the take on Boros um, feels a lot like mono red, but of course with the, with the token feel. And Derek, you said that this person ha- has like crushed it, won many trophies, and has been absolutely demolishing with this deck. But you don't think it's yeah, good? Yeah, no, if I remember correctly, like uh, if you go to the standard like league area, there's like all the the names and stuff. This uh, caboose person has been at the top for a while, and it's like uh, the way Magic Online releases their deck list. It's hard to see like what people are playing every once in a while. But then you get play- paired against them. It's like white red aggro. Where did you come up with this deck? And then you play like I I've, I've been playing Teamer for the past year and a half, like everybody else on Magic Online, and I've just found like if you play a Will of Virtuoso with more than three energy already it's very hard for them to win. So I don't know how exactly uh, they've been winning, but I mean, if they if <laughs> scoreboard for them, right? Like they have more trophies than I do. So what do I know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, Derek, you're the trophy hunter. <laughs> how I feel about the deck. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I'm hunting. I'm not the trophy leader. <laughs> so. Have you played against a specific configuration? Um, yeah. Like I, when I was grinding before I started playing Modern about a week ago, like probably play against this person every once in a while. Um, so I, I assume they haven't changed it very much. I don't know how much you can change it. I did get blown out by Trial of Trial of Solidarity a couple times, just like accidentally twenty five me, and I go okay, like I guess I shouldn't have been so aggressive with you, but uh, for the most part, like I feel like once like this is just a worse mono red. Like once you figure out what's going on, you just. Uh, you don't lose to it as easy, but once again, three five O's. <laughs> I don't know how much I can complain about a deck that's winning so much. 
Do you, do you like the Rob? Do you disagree? Do you like the, the looks of the slits uh, being able to go wide and, and having trial of solidarity as uh, one of your more lethal, lethal threats? I think the list is fine given kind of how the metagame uh, sh- shaped up, like near the, the end of the format, or I guess still now. Um, <clears throat> given that, like, there was a, like, Teamer was really focused on trying to figure out how to beat other Teamer decks. They spent a lot of time and energy and card so- slots in, in being able to do that. And I think this, this deck kind of tries, just tries to go under it. I'd be interested, like, I'd have to play it, but, like, Vanguard um, and and Cartouche of Solid uh, Solidarity seem like pretty good tools against Teamer, um, just in game one, and being able to have like a couple blow up potentials while still having like you know the annoying like Hazard the Fervent uh, on the top end. I think it's weird that he's playing three Kinjali Sunwing and three Ferocidon. They're kind of doing the same thing, um, which is like. You know, in there to an- annoy tokens. I think Frosinon's probably better. So, um, if I was interested in playing standard, I'd probably try a two-four split instead of a three-three split. And Glorious End is also a very weird <laughs> selection choice. I wonder if that's like sweet tech against like Approach of the Second Sons or something. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> As like a pseudo counter to it. Yeah, because it'll it'll counter it. I guess right. It just ends the turn. They cast it. They yeah, then, cast it. it ends the turn. Then you get to like untap and try and kill them, which is probably something you could do, I guess, if you're just playing a creature or two every turn. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he's figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> interesting, though. It's interesting. I, I, I like Legion's landing uh, a lot as well. The card is uh, is very good. So yeah, it's it's an interesting list. Um, it's very similar to that red white vehicles list I was pushing for Nats, where you're just kind of like really getting really light on the removal and just playing a bunch of creatures and trying to trying to go wide and, and over top of, of your opponent, just ignoring what they're doing. Since the threats are so insane uh, in standard and the removal so miserable, um, yeah. Well, you were never, you were never playing Vanguard in, in that list because you needed to crew, right? I needed or- to crew hard, yeah. Um, but like Vanguard is, I think it's, I think it's good. I think it's underrated. It's, it's uh, it is a very annoying card. It's kind yeah, of like I mean, Petra Leech or whatever. It's just all, just very annoying. It can't like, I, I, yeah, I would love to see how, how the games uh, play out. Like you said, it might be well positioned against Teamer. And they can't just, you know, you can protect it with, against Chandra. It could maybe with the help of, even with decent amount of energy, with the help of their, uh, like you said, Cartouche, and, and maybe so, it might require some bump spells, but it could attack into a Hydra the first couple of turns, uh, depending on their energy situation. So, I don't know. I played, uh, I don't play standard very often, you know that, but there was a standard <laughs> you should, box. You should. And, and I'm going to. I'm going to begin playing uh, more constructed formats. I was actually on my Magic New Year's resolution that we'll have a constructed day. But shortly after the Pro Tour, there was a modern, uh, a standard Mox. And I tried a lot of different decks as I was getting ready to decide what to play in that. I ended up playing a Godfarer's Gift deck. But one of them was the Mono White Vampires deck. And I actually brought in two of the combat tricks, um, plus two, plus two, and first strike for vampires, and played the main deck. And, like, it was so awesome to attack with the Vanguard. They block with their Hydra, they use an energy, and they're just like, gotcha. And you'd have that shatter pause where they're like, what is that, a combat? 
Like, I know what they're thinking. A combat trick? This is constructed. What are you doing? But, like, it worked. Like, the deck actually wasn't bad. And of Danto's Vanguard was the card I was happiest to see in my openers. So, again, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge about Standard, but I, I can say that card was very good in that deck, and it wouldn't surprise me if there's a place for it in the future. Alrighty. Um, I guess without further ado, I, I'm just going to tweet a bit. I think I'm just going to jump in and uh, reveal our spoiler card, or special card that I kind of like. Ooh. So, um, let's see. We're going to do that. Actually, we're going to do that very soon as I prep for that. Uh, let's talk about some of the new cards and uh, their modern implication. Um, the one that, that came out today that, that a lot of people are talking about, saying that, hmm, it's got a lot of modern potential. Uh, because before that, I just heard about how crappy the set was. Like, even the Planeswalkers were, were underwhelming. So, it's exciting to hear uh, some people think that. Uh, you know, some of the newer cards spoiled this week can have some amount of impact on some of the competitive uh, formats, uh, namely Blood Sun, uh, one way two colorless enchantment. When Blood Sun enters the battlefield, draw a card, and all lands lose all abilities except mana abilities. So I guess if you only have, if you're the opponent and you only have like fetch lands in your hand off the top, you're, you're kind of in a pickle. Uh, Derek, how excited are you about this card? I think it's sweet. Um... I think, like, a lot of people are saying, like, it, it doesn't shut down Tron lands, but it shuts down uh, Valakut. And I think that's an interesting take. It also cantrips. And so when you, when you look at that, like, if you ever think, like, Tron lands might play red, maybe they'll put a Blood Sun in their sideboard for other decks. Because, like, if you're Tron, you can't really uh, play Blood Moon. But this card sets down fetch lands. If you think about Death Shadow decks or um, like blue white control decks, like they have a lot of lands with activated abilities, uh, like the man lands or the fetch lands. Like if you play a Blood Sun, it doesn't even turn them into mountains. Like they just can't use the lands anymore. Uh, so I think like it's actually playable. Like eight out of ten playable compared to a lot of people are considering it like a four out of ten. Like just significantly worse than Blood Moon. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I don't know if it'll top eight the Pro Tour, but like, I think it'll see play. It's a pretty good card. Are you seeing this as more of a main deck or or sideboard card? Uh, it could probably be main deck in that red white prison deck or the mono red uh, prison deck, but it's more of a sideboard card. Probably like fringe play, like tier two strategies, tier three. But I do think it's not like chaff. I think it's pretty playable like this could be a reason to pull tron back to red green instead yeah, of uh, white green yeah. or black green right like it's interesting like a ghost quarter and field of ruin and tech edge are all like turned off and like uh, the scape shift decks i think are also one of the main predators uh against tron so yeah i think the fact that it cycles is like it draws a card if it didn't draw a card then it would be rated correctly at 4 out of 10. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> if you put draw a card on every card, doubles its rating. <laughs> yeah, I think this card is good. I think it'll see modern play. I don't think it's an all-star or whatever. It's not going to change the corp, the format, but uh, it, it definitely has homes. It seems decent. All we need oh, is a blood dad. 
We got blood, son. <laughs> I actually made that typo to you in the chat. I'm like, yeah, blood, blood son is a pretty sweet card. And I'm like, oh, whoops. <laughs> Don't talk to me or my blood son ever again. <laughs> oh, someone in the chat just mentioned that the bounce lands don't bounce anymore with this in play. Yeah, bounce lands, fetch lands, uh, interesting uh, animate lands. Like, no, the, ba- the bounce lands is tight though. I don't know. Well, we'll have to talk to Edgar, Derek. Maybe this is, uh, I'm interested just to know if this, if this fires him up on his uh, amulet strategies. <laughs> The thing I like about it is, like, I've played Grixis Death Shadow through a Blood Moon. Like, I've just team or battle raged them. This, uh, this Blood Sun card, you can't do that. You can't. There's no red. If you don't, if you, there's, like, no mountain, right? So, like, if, You gotta uh, draw your one Steam Vents? <laughs> yeah, or your Blood Crypt, or you gotta, you gotta make sure that you play around it really aggressively, and then if you play around Blood Moon, you can get sewered. So, like, it's, it's, it's an interesting card. And, one thing that I was thinking about is that if they print this, it makes it easier for them to ban the entire 8th edition. It's like, 8th <laughs> edition is done. We're getting rid of it. And it's like, we have Blood Sun, though, so beats Valakut. Stop complaining. So, so, <laughs> so basically, the modern Pro Tour that's upcoming is, uh, has 8th edition in, in its hands, right? Like, the fate of it is in its hands. If the top 8 is 60%, yeah. uh, Tron decks, then uh, eighth edition is getting the axe. That's that's your prediction. Yep. You you go through Dominaria. You start seeing like <laughs> Tron lands. Uh, you have fixed choke, fixed everything. Wizards is doing it. It's the overhaul. I'm fine with that. There's really nothing interesting going on in eighth edition. So they banned Summer Bloom. Wizardrix in eighth edition. Which Wizardrix? Is that the giant rabbit? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's build a modern deck around that. I think you guys are on the wrong podcast. You should talk to um, Saffron Olive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about it in Commander? I used to play it in Commander. Oh, God. KYT, we're gone off the rails here. <laughs> <laughs> Derek's talking about Commander. <laughs> Well, let's let's say since we've got a little time that I'm looking to start playing modern again, and I haven't played anything since Jund and a little bit of Death Shadow like six months ago. What sort of decks might I be looking to get into? Is Jund positioned anywhere where I could just pick it up and jam some games and see what happens, or do I need to look at a completely different strategy? If you want to lose, you can pick up Jund and try and play it. Okay, yeah, the format's kind of like set up set up to beat it right now, like okay. with all of the escape shift. Tron decks, and uh, even I think probably Grix's Shadow and Grix's Control are probably favored against Shunned now, I, I would assume. It's, it's, like, Shadow's really close, but I think Control is favored. Yeah, um, especially the four snap, four Colkins command version. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those are miserable, I remember that. So what should somebody be picking up if they're like, hey, I'd like to play some Modern and not be disadvantaged? So it depends, it depends what kind of player you are. Like, if you... If you are that big mana, like, just let it ride, any type of scapeshift, Eldrazi Tron, or, like, normal Tron decks are all, you know, tier one, they're all good. Um, if you like your aggro decks, the five-color humans deck is good. Um, Affinity is still uh, good. And as soon as this set's legal, Rurfolk might be good. <laughs> okay. Um, and then if you like your, your combo decks, like Blue-Red Storm, if you know how to play it, 
is is a pretty good deck. I've been testing a lot of uh, Blue Red Moon, like a, kind of like a Kiki list Blue Red control deck, and it has been performing very nicely. Um, I don't know why you play decks where you give yourself a disadvantage. No, I just like you, you're just like very good against the big mana decks. Because you have like you have Blood Moon spreading seas in the main. So yeah. they just you just invalidate those strategies, and then you have like some decent sweepers against like the Coco decks and the other uh, the other aggro decks. But you're like again like weak weaker to the kind of Grixis and and Jun type like the Thoughtseize decks, obviously, right? So yeah, kind of a toss up. I think the the Coco decks are good. I think if if you're not going to play Eldrazi Tron or Grixis Shadow, you should be playing like a, a green Coco creature deck. Oh, the Sahili's been even... popping up too. So if you have a your Sahili yeah. cards from Standard. <laughs> and it's play them. Birthing pod deck hanging around online, you can just jam those two things together with what's left. Oh. <laughs> just take out all the banned cards, shuffle the rest together, submit. All right, yeah. yeah. pod. I don't, uh, the list is a, very popular online, but I'm not, I haven't played it. I was looking, I was hoping Derek had played it since it's basically his spirit animal in deck form. I, I can't. It brings back bad memories. <laughs> That's when you were trophy leader. Those are good memories. Life was so good. People knew who I was. Chris Bakula <laughs> tweeted at me. The good old days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Chris Bakula, your, god, your godfather. Um, well, I chat. Well, losing my voice here. But uh, if you guys can give me a retweet at KYT Magic, that's uh, my latest. I'm just tweeted out that I'm about to uh, preview our card, and we've got. Um, of course, our financial expert, our guru, Jonathan Medina, waiting in the wing, doing a little cameo, giving his. Um, I do. I'm going to do what I do best is and put someone like completely unprepared and like just boom. Here you go. Uh, deal with it. Okay, so we're just going to pull the cards. So hopefully you guys like it. I'm going to share my screen. I have okay. not seen it, by the way. I have. I have not seen it, so I don't know so, what's coming. You have no idea, and that's why you're gonna go first, John. You're gonna- no, <laughs> gonna I was see- just gonna lean on the other guys. <laughs> We're gonna see your first impression of our exclusive first strike, Rivals of Ixalan. Spoiler. So, without further ado, here we go. Wayward Sword Tooth. Three to cast, one green, two colorless. Dinosaur, five, five, with Ascend. Which is if you control 10 or more permanents, you get the city's blessing for the rest of the game. You may play an additional land on each of your turns. Wayward Swordtooth can't attack or block unless you have the city's blessing. Ooh, 5-5. Five, five. And uh, let's go. Oh, i got to present to everyone. Sorry for the weird screen. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, John. Uh, what do you think? Uh, it, it's basically an enchantment, right? It's kind of like one of, these, uh, one of these gods that don't get turned on until you have 10 permanents. Um, you know, you can play an additional land. I like that. That seems very cool. Um, yeah, I, I, I like it. I don't know. I don't know what kind of strategy it would fit in. Because <laughs> you know, I don't want to. I don't want to ruin the podcast. Because like, I'm thinking about EDH decks. I'm like, oh man, this is going in my like five color Child of Lara lands deck. You know, this is gonna be sick. But like, I'm trying to think of modern implications and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know. I don't see it. You know? like, do you see? Do you see it being a co- commander favorite? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. This in commander for sure. Um, just playing an additional land each turn—that's like, um, you know, uh, a big thing in commander. I, 
I play uh, Oracle Modaya whenever I can. Now Oracle's, you know, it's a hundred times better because you get to play with the top of your of your deck yeah. revealed, right? And this you get kind of a creature out of it, which is not that great, right? In Commander, <laughs> I mean, in Commander, it's yeah. not great to get a creature. Like, who cares, right? I mean, you get board wiped like every five minutes. So, but it is cool to play an extra land. It's cool that you can do that in the early game. So, like, turn one land, a Soul Ring, turn two. You know, this guy, two lands, you know, and then you're looking at, you know, six mana on turn three, you know, and, uh, and that's kind of where you want to be in commander or where I want to be in commander, you know, <laughs> so, uh, but, but it would go in a, it would go in a deck with uh, anything that has that kind of uh, ramp. There's that three drop uh, Azusa, right? right uh, anything right. with like kind of, kind of Azusa or, you know, that kind of style. And I know there was a, there was a modern deck with Azusa at one point, you know, maybe this wants this kind of effect, but I mean... Azusa is better in the sense that you play two lands. And uh, yeah, I mean, typically those decks that are playing all those lands don't really need a 5-5 creature. They're doing something bigger or they're like, you know, doing some other kind of uh, angle, you know? Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Uh, when I first saw, I, I'm not sure myself, to be honest. Uh, when I showed it to, to a colleague of mine, Robert Anderson, who uh, famously called uh, his, his first impression of Grim Flare was that was a bulk mythic, obviously proven wrong. And then he's he has a favorable impression about this card. He, he thinks it's not that bad. So I'm like, hmm, wait, like if he thinks this is uh, if he had a better impression than Grim Flare, ah, maybe maybe there's something to it. Uh, Rob, you see some potential. What, in- what, what other thing? You can hit it off Collective Company. So there there is there is that. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, what do you think about this card? Fact. <laughs> uh, I. Unfortunately, I think this card is bad. Oh. I'm pretty sure it's bad. <laughs> it's just like a very weird card. So the thing is that they've actually printed some interesting dinosaur synergy cards where it's very likely that there might be what looks like a red-green dino deck that may be able to compete with what's going on in, in Standard and be at least a Tier 2 contender. Um, and probably going to be one of the premier mid-range decks after the rotation of the broken uh, block that is Kalatesh. <laughs> um, and this card just doesn't seem to fit into that strategy. Like, I just don't see those decks caring to try to get to 10 permanents. And the more that you try to hit Ascend, like the better cards like Hour of Revelation become, right? So like if this card becomes interesting and good and other cards like Tilanali Summoner or whatever becomes like something you want to do so that you can use all this extra mana you're doing to make a bunch of hasty something or others, are they elementals? Um, then like your opponent just gets to spend white, white, white <laughs> to, to reset you. I mean, you have the blessing afterwards still. So the next three mana five five you play, you get to um, just drop an attack with it. But I don't know; it just it doesn't seem to line up with what the strategy is is trying to do. Now, like that being said, it's a card that has a lot of interesting potential. And if there's a deck that's able to um, ramp board presence um, and care about like playing lands. Uh, at some point, then I think this card is probably better and more interesting. Like, 
They have the rampant growth now that cares about dinosaurs. I forget what it's called. Um, if I can find it, probably can't. Thunder herd migration. So like that's kind of interesting. And then you have like hour of promise. So I can see like you know there's possibly a ramp deck there that if they print something worth ramping to, uh, it could be useful. But like I don't see that card uh, at this point. Like you would need like primeval titan or I don't know something sweet. Uh, to hit, like an Eldrazi or whatever. The Eldrazi are probably coming back. They're always coming back, right? So as soon as they print Ulamog version 3, then <laughs> maybe you've got a deck. I don't know. I think Ascend is a pretty bad mechanic. Oh, wow. It. It's just like all the same, right? You just, everyone's trying to hit 10 permanents. It seems um, very uninspired. Okay, so you don't even like Ascend in general. No, like, like, why does every? It's they just put it on a bunch of things, and it's like, okay, every strategy now is just trying to flood board presence to like get the city's blessing for what? Like these very, min, like menial gains, like a three mana five five with no other text on it is like probably not great. What? <laughs> like, what? Ronus is like not even like busted, right? It's just Ro- Ronus like, is a great paperweight. All right, <laughs> he's like a one of sometimes paper. <laughs> now let me ask you this, Rob. If it was uh, if ascend was, you know, uh, ten permanents total on the board. Oh, this card's insane! Find- this card's insane. Then no, but would you find that interesting from a design perspective? Because then you have that kind of play. Like if I play more stuff, then it turns on his ascend. Uh, you know, if I no, play no, less no, the stuff- play of that is terrible. The play of that is terrible. This card becomes better though. <laughs> <laughs> Game designer, but I think there should be no. other ways to ascend, right? Like. If green ascended based on total power, right? Like, if you have 15 or more power in play, then ascend. So then you can see, like, okay, I can play, like, um, whatever, Servant of the Conduit or the Drover of the Mighty, you know, into this and some other uh, Savage Stomp, right, or something like that, into, like, Registor Alpha, and it's like, okay, then I can ascend and attack. It's like, you know, this strategy, like, all makes sense, right? If blue ascends by having, like, eight cards in hand or something, or, you know, 15 cards in its graveyard, or maybe that's how black, like, whatever. There's other ways you could, I don't know. How, how would red ascend? How would red ascend? That would be good. If, I don't know if your opponent had 10 or less life or something. They already, they already did that with the gods. They already did that with the gods. Right? Like, they already, like, ascending, like, they're, you're appeasing the gods, right? I think if they they just redid that this set, it would be boring. I mean, it would be boring in that it's not new, but it would probably be more interesting from a gameplay perspective. I mean, I don't know. I think Ascend is pretty sweet as a mechanic. I mean, um, we'll see how it plays out in standard, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Rob, Rob mentioned a few things about this card that, that I, we have to see like the, the full set flesh out and, and what other cards might be coming up. Like The first thing with Ascend that you're thinking of, like, does a 5-5 five, five fit in, like, a token-based strategy to get this active early? Usually not, like a, like a white-green type deck. Or um, maybe if it also had, like, lots of powerful X spells that it wanted to abuse with all that extra uh, mana that it could cast early. Um, I'm not sure if, if this fits into a strategy right away. Uh, definitely something to keep in mind. I know some of my friends are optimistic about this card in... <laughs> In other formats, just because it's a really big guy, but it's really hard to to, to make it active. Uh, Derek, what are your thoughts? And uh, in what type of scenario do you see this card being playable? 
Uh, I'd probably see it playable in like Tur- Turbo Galta, the Primal Hunger, the twelve twelve for twelve. It uh costs X less to cast, where X is the total power of creatures you control. Ooh. Um, so like, you would probably play. A couple wayward sword tooths and like a try to like turbo out Galta. Or if you were a green deck and there you were lacking in good ways to get, um, what is it, the city's blessing? And this was like one of the best ways to do it. And those are like the two applicable ways I think you could play this card. Otherwise, I think it was mentioned it would just be like a, a, a poor replacement for Azusa or like a fifth Azusa in modern but i don't hate it i don't think it's bad like i think rob was definitely too critical of it uh derek five, when, five, you, five. when you like tap out for this card and then you can't attack with it the turn after and like you don't have an extra lane to play like how how can you afford to put that card in your deck when everyone else is doing insane things every turn people like look at that red white list that we just previewed <laughs> It's like if you tap out, it's just like it can't even block. It can't block. It's just three mana, and then it does nothing, and then I'm dead. The pitcher on Ronus isn't even nice, and people are playing it, and like, like it's exactly hard. At least the upside with Ronus is there, right? Where like when you turn it on, it's very difficult. It makes everything very difficult for your opponent because it's like they can't. Like it becomes an abyss. And then every creature they have just gets in for extra damage. Like, this card needs trample, and I just, man, playing additional land each turn is just such a random ability for where this deck is going to go. Or where this card is going to go in terms of deck. The best cards in Magic, Black Lotus, Soul Ring, are fast mana. This card... What? Listen. (laughs) listen. Power 9, have you heard of it? Yeah. Might might get banned in standard then, I guess, eh? Also, yeah. if you had a Black Lotus, you could sacrifice <laughs> it and then cast this card, which is awesome. They banned Summer Bloom in Modern. This is Summer Bloom. <laughs> and it's a 5-5. Five five. <laughs> I think you guys might have figured it out. Also, like, if, if Ascend is good and easy to hit, probably people are playing token decks as one of the primary strategies to get there, which makes this card, like, Hidden Stockpile just blanks this... It doesn't care. It's like, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Stockpile in uh in Kaladesh though, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Sure. This is just like Glorybringer. A year from now, this card may be playable. Oh, cool. <laughs> oh yeah. If this is like the the Glorybringer call is gonna be hilarious. Uh, Derek, did you mention that you you see a scenario where like maybe a very small percentage chance that there's a deck that might play this just to get the blessing? Yeah. Well. Well. Who who wasn't that mentioned that? It's like an enchantment because that's how that's how I see it. It's just like, yeah, it's just like an enchantment. Like, like uh, Ronus. If you couldn't turn on Ronus, the positive to Ronus was that you could make your creatures plus two plus one trample, or right. you could give your Thopter like you could punch through with it, right? Right. So if right. you're playing a, a three mana enchantment, like why would you play it? Well, it's to get a send. Like if if you're playing a green deck, like I'm looking through the spoilers and there's not a lot really that makes me want to play a send. But if they print a card where, like, if you ascend, blah, 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 like, something insane happens, you're like, oh, I really need to ascend. And, like, I also, this is the best way to do it, the most efficient way, and I can ramp into something else. Or I'm playing a five-color deck and I need to play multiple lands a turn. I don't know. It just, uh, 
it just like yeah i don't what one of the safest ways to ascend is to have lands right and so the whole the yeah. whole idea is that you put lands in play it's like in a token deck if you ascend you might uh you know get board wiped or if you're trying to ascend and you get board wiped then you can't get there right but if you have lands you know it's unlikely that you'll get armageddon so i mean you know the, the, i see what he's saying is basically if there's a green card where ascend is super good then having lands in play is awesome and plus you know you have the creature too so you get a creature and then extra lands and it kind of uh moves you faster toward that goal okay so when you ascend right which is apparently our goal with this card <laughs> what is the other payoff right it's this it's this unknown green card that that's the payoff it's the one that hasn't hasn't been shown yet you get you get it's like green green 90 if you ascend it costs green green and it's like a 30 30 trample haste <laughs> if you ascend, you get you get a five five that's what you get <laughs> I, I think maybe we see like I don't know maybe we could see a, a guy that uh, I don't know, play a really good five drop that that puts out three other dudes or something and that that really puts you uh, towards ascend I think pretty much like we've kind of seen it, most of the rares right like this is Thursday night so they're gonna pretty we shouldn't expect huge surprises tomorrow. Yeah, yeah Cloud I, Ranger with this guy. I see it, man. <laughs> I no five. doubt want one of a, I, I no doubt want a foil one of these uh, for that for that EDH deck. And one of the reasons is is because I use Green Sun Zenith to get like Azusa and other things. And so I would Green Sun Zenith this thing. I think it's I think it's cool for my EDH in casual play for sure. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think that's why I don't play Commander. <laughs> <laughs> it just like I, I don't know, like. Ronus is so much easier to turn on if you just want a three three five five, and like its ability is more relevant than being able to play a next lane. What if that's not what we want. What if we want to ascend? Yeah, but what are you <laughs> making a Ronus? It's not worth ascending. Hey, we're supposed to be selling this card because it's his preview card, man. I'm not supposed to be selling this card. I'm supposed to be giving my unbiased opinion about whether or not this is trash. I think, I think it's, it's okay. We're we're like three against one. We're good. There you uh, have it. Three John. <laughs> John, this is a commander staple. I'll say it. There you go. Pick up your falls now. I mean, I mean, John, like, what would be sweet is if like your commander deck has like um, cards where, where it wants like ascend as well. So uh, interested to see uh, what your your future builds will going to look like with this. Uh, what other cards that that have ascend in in your deck? Uh, Travis, we'll go to you. Um, what are the, if you're opening this as as your rare for limited? Uh, what are you thinking here? I have a couple thoughts. One is Ascend as a mechanic actually reminds me a little bit of Monstrous um, from Theros Block in that it's a card that you can play on the, the turn that you could cast it and then it's going to get better later in the game. Now Monstrous gave us a mana sink and then some sort of effect usually tacked onto it, although some of them just got bigger. So like as a mechanic, I don't have a problem with it in Limited. We're going to get to board stalls far more often there than we are in any sort of constructed format. So, like, that, that's going to happen. I think Ascend's going to play fine there. As for this card in particular, like, in Limited, it almost feels like this is sort of like working to make a Colossipede. And Colossipede was actually quite good in Hour of Devastation. It was a 5-mana five 5-5. Five, five. And this kind of feels like a five mana five five that untaps two lands when you play it almost because it's going to sit there and not do anything for a few turns so it's like under what circumstances would i want this well if i've got a way to get a lot of lands in my hand like if if i have something like land tax again everything hasn't been spoiled but if i can get a lot of extra lands 
into my hand, then I would be interested in this. Or if I have a lot of cards that simply care about the power and or toughness of my creatures. So we already saw things like Pounce and Savage Stomp in the last set. If I end up with three or four removal spells that care about that, well, this guy on turn three is big enough to stomp down anything. Um, that said, I imagine I'd be passing this more than I take it. Uh, but if I end up with it, I, I could see some uses for it there. It just feels like by the time I get it turned on, it's kind of going to have been outclassed because either the, like the vampires or pirates decks have run me over or the other dinosaur decks, you know, they just cast a five, five on turn five and you know, mine's not working yet. Uh, that's, that's some good analysis, Travis. Yeah, that's, that's actually a very good point. Like if you see this, so it's like, say you're in red, green dinos and somehow this is in a pack with that six, six for six trampler. Like, are you're probably more often than not taking that, uh, the trampler, right? I would think so, because like, like I know what I'm getting, but like get six mana before this thing can do anything, anyways. What? Yeah, like I, I, I always hate the high variance cards where like if things work out perfectly, right? Like I have this and a hand of land, I get to kind of vomit it all out, and I made an early five five, like. That just doesn't seem like enough of a payoff. It, like, there's cards in the past like Blood Mist where if they worked, I'm winning the game. And if they didn't, well, I'm probably down a card and or losing. But like, at least there's a payoff there. You can't deal with this. And this just doesn't feel like that. It feels like I get a little bit of value and later I get a creature out of it. What's the, what's the pack order in draft in this format? Uh, two rivals, then one Ixalan. Okay. Oh man! This needs to cost two. Let's get it eroded. <laughs> it's already broken. <laughs> Even add two. I, I don't know. Um, it really requires other cards. Yeah, it's going to require some. Um, it's it's just a card to keep in mind uh, with when the whole set either gets completely spoiled or if it hasn't already, uh, and maybe in in future sets where we're looking at some sort of synergy. People are like. I like I like the chat and and Derek responded like, "What about Ronus with this guy? You know, Ronus and Ronus might double Ronus might even be better than this card." So, um, but I see. I think it's when you have a three. It's funny we live in the world where a three mana five five Rob is no longer impressed. Whoa, whoa. this is a three mana enchantment <laughs> that becomes a creature later. It becomes a that might become a five five. You know what, what other creature was a three mana enchantment? That became a creature. It won a pro tour. Thassa. Thassa. Yep, this is it. <laughs> oh man, I miss Thassa. She was busted. If you want to talk about actual target cards, though, I think that Azor's Gateway might be very insane. <laughs> all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump out before you guys get all hot and heavy in in these uh, broken cards here. <laughs> sure. I appreciate you having me on, guys. Thank, uh, thank you, thank you, John, for coming on. Sorry for uh, throwing you in a spot once again. Love you. Oh, that's okay. I love you too, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm surprised people uh, keep wanting to come on. <laughs> um, which which card, what color is it? Uh, it's an artifact. It's two to cast. It's a legendary artifact. It has the ability one tap, draw a card, then exile a card from your hand. If cards with five or more different converted mana costs are exiled with uh, Azar's Gateway, you gain five life, untap it, and transform it. And when it transforms, it's a legendary land that taps for X mana of any color, where X is your life. So, 
not very good. Yeah, but it's like it's it's kind of like a Rufo Cluder. Yeah, and then all of a sudden it taps for like ten mana. <laughs> would, would you play I don't know. Like this this card is very interesting. <laughs> would you play a Murfolk Looter over this card? Probably not. What if, what if there was a reanimate? If there was a rean no, if there was a rean, sure, I guess I'd have to have it in my graveyard. Scarab gods in the format, right? You got, you got me. And they can't exile your stuff with Scarab God. Like this is a Merfolk looter you can use, and you don't have to worry about the opponent's Scarab God. You no, see? No, I meant like if you were playing. No, Derek, you actually helped our argument in that this is better against the Scarab God. <laughs> um, I mean, the the mana cost is is weird. I'm not sure if that creates a problem or not, but just like. I don't know. The fact that you kind of gain five life, which automat- means it's going to tap for at least six mana <laughs> uh, the turn you flip it. it. It could potentially be very interesting. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, uh, blue-white uh, approach might might want a card like this, for example, where they get to like filter out a bunch of dead cards and then just like untap, gain five life, and cast to approach the suns like right right there. Oh, that that's cute. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it just has for so much mana that it seems very dangerous. I'm gonna pick up all my blood suns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if these if these flip cards end up being very good, like search is already very good. So, and there's some very interesting ones in this set. But I don't know this card. Just the fact that it's costed at two mana is um, intriguing. Depends what the format looks like. It could be that. Spending your second turn doing nothing is completely unmanageable. Although, given that Search for Escanta is seeing play, then maybe there is some interest in it. Um, I just want us to, to quickly run through uh, the, the Planeswalkers of the set. Go through with you guys. Um, and there's different versions of some of them because of the... Uh, I forget why. like The packs that they... They come up like out of some some specific intro. I think they still do that, right? The intro packs. But uh, I'll just go through each of them uh, with you, Rob. Sure. Angrath, the Flame Chained, five mana, three colorless, one black, one red, four loyalty, plus one. Each opponent discards a card, loses two life, minus three, gain control of target creature until end of turn, untap it, it gains haste, until end of turn, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step if it has converted mana cost three or less. Um, and each minus eight, each opponent loses life equal to the number of cards in his or her graveyard. Yeah, I just don't see this card having a home yet. But like the abilities are interesting. Like, I guess if there was some red, black, or Jund or Grixis deck or whatever that uh, came out, this is like not a terrible card uh, against control. Because like being able to have them discard a card and lose two life each turn and then just kind of like minus eight and kill them at some point is like, you know, a reasonable strategy uh, right, against right. them. It, <clears throat> like Chandra is kind of doing the same thing at, at four mana or like, you just kind of like take two, take two, take two ultimate die. So like, it's kind of the same thing only you're instead of you being potentially up a card and them up to life at some points in the turn, they're just like always down a card and down to life. So it's, I don't know, maybe it's better against, uh, certain types of control decks if that's that's a popular strategy. Like I wouldn't mind having this card against like blue-red approach or something or like a blue-red control deck. Seems fine there. But those decks are like not very popular at this point. 
And this card seems like, you know, pretty bad against like the Hazaret and energy decks. But that being said, like if the format changes, it's possible that it's a little more interesting. I guess this can steal uh, our preview card. And then uh, if you have 10 permanents, you could ascend yourself. <laughs> Play an extra lane and slap them for five. Yeah, well, that means they don't get it back. They took five. You played an extra land, and now you have the city's blessing. It's like... This was clearly printed as an answer to that card. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> yeah, that's why, that's why Hijack was in the set before, so you could kill people with Hijack. <laughs> I don't know why red-black planeswalkers are always, like, super mediocre. Um, Ark in the Mad was good, wasn't he? Uh, Sark in the Mad saw a little bit of play. I think he yeah he was playable. He was generally bad though. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like Jund was so good that it didn't matter. You could you could try out random things in your flex slots, and it was cool. like yeah whatever. Well, Bloodbraid help Blood, 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 kill you. <laughs> uh, anything to add, Derek, on this card? Uh, not really. It just seems like a worse Obnixilis to me, and like Obnixilis didn't see a lot of play. Uh, I find like a, a random card in your opponent's hand is worse than a random card off the top of your deck. Using resources is usually better than denying your opponent resources. Mm-hmm. And five mana for a hijack isn't very good. But like Rob said, if there's a lot of control decks or like mono red is in the format in a couple months, like sure this card's could see play, but not really looking too great right now. Yeah. Um, moving on to Huatli. Radiant Champion, one uh, green, one white, two colors, four mana to cast three loyalty, plus one play loyalty counter on Motley uh, for each creature you control. Minus one target creature gets plus one, plus one, uh, plus X, plus X, sorry, until end of turn where X is the number of creatures you control. Minus eight, you get an emblem with whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. How sexy is this card, Travis? <laughs> It, there was a Gideon in Gatecrash that had a similar thing where, like, you could put counters on him and it didn't really matter. I, I don't remember exactly what he did because it, it really didn't matter. And that's kind of what I'm getting here is, like, I can play this and maybe if I've got one thing you can't block, I can make it really big and kill you. I can threaten to draw some cards if I draw m- more creatures. I'm not quite sold. Like it, it's a lot of, of life cushion, right? Like, and if I'm threatening the ultimate, I'm going to get value down the line. I'm going to have to play with this one to know for sure. It just like, I'm used to planeswalkers coming down and having a plus that does that affects the board right now. And a minus that affects the board right now. And this one kind of doesn't, that, that makes me think it's not very good. Hmm. You're correct. Travis, this card is bad. <laughs> <clears throat> it's just uh so I think the 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 easy thought experiment about where this deck goes is that white green deck that saw a little bit of play in standard for a while that was like um I don't know like Oketra's Monument, like Vanguard and like uh Resilient Kenron, just a bunch of dorks, and then played like Appeal to Authority. And it's just like first of all, like what are you cutting to play this? And like now you're playing a card. It's like, okay, it doesn't work with Oketra's Monument. And sure, the turn you play it, you can add a bunch of loyalty 
to it. Like maybe you even go to like six or eight or something. So you can ultimate next turn. But like you haven't advanced your board in any meaningful way. Um, whereas like you could have just played like a sweet four drop or like, you know, uh two two drops and a and a three drop or something if you have a catcher's monument play on turn three. Uh and then appeal to authority I think is just better as the minus, which is like gives your guy trample, vigilance, and taps two of their guys. Where this just gives it plus X plus X until end of turn. I mean this is repeatable, sure, but the other one is like uh how many times you gotta repeat appeal to authority before you right? win? Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean like it it could be a cheaper version of Vraska in the tokens deck, which would be the only place I would see it. Because, uh, like, if you if you think about the tokens deck, like pre nationals, um, they were playing like their top end was Vraska, and it was for the mirror. If you're not expecting like a lot of mirrors, like you could Walti, and it comes out, and then just like every time a token comes into play, draw a card. Uh, I don't know how good that is, but <laughs> yeah. like, that was gonna be my next question. Like, is that good? That's like that's like your best possible, right? Like, how much inevitability do you need? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the I don't know. Deck cards, one might cards be win more. It seems very win more. And I don't, I don't like win more planeswalkers. It, it like at this card's peak, I think it'll be a one of, uh, and probably in the sideboard. It's, it's like Nissa Steward of Elements. That, that's how good it is. From the comments I've read, though, it's great in the Riz Redeemed Commander deck. That's <laughs> probably true. So, get your foils. <laughs> your really damn foils. Uh, let's just jump to Vraska, Scheming Gorgon. Gorgon. Uh, six mana, double black, four colorless. Plus two, uh, starts with five loyalty, plus two creatures you control, get plus one, plus zero. Till end of turn, minus three, destroy target creature. Minus 10 until end of turn creatures you control gain death touch. And whenever this creature deals damage to an opponent, that player loses the game. For six mana, seems like a very bad deal. Do you agree, Derek? This card might be better than the four mana quality we just looked at. Damn it, I was going to say that. Because <laughs> it destro- like, it's like a worse of removal spell. <laughs> This is well, actually a worse, um, what was his name? Obnixilus, right? It's kind of like an actual... Yeah, <laughs> but, like, I said you could just shove tokens deck. You could probably just shove this into the tokens deck and it would just win the game, like, much quicker. And, like, it's just, it's actually just, like, a, a little bit worse for Asuka Relic Seeker. For, like, a dual deck, like, I would play this dual deck just for this card. It seems pretty good. <laughs> I don't think this card's seen play, but it's definitely better than the other two planeswalkers we just talked about. Okay, I, I mean, <laughs> we just move on to the. the That's the probably last. not true. Ang- Angrath is probably better. Like Angrath actually has a shot of like hitting a a table somewhere <laughs> which, at a, at a which premier. Angrath? The five mana Angrath. Okay, yeah. let's go straight to the six mana one. Uh, Angraph Minotaur Pirate, one black, one red, four colorless, five loyalty, plus two, deals one damage to target opponent and each creature that player controls, minus three, return target pirate card from your graveyard to the battlefield, and minus 11, destroy all creatures target opponent controls, Angraph Minotaur Pirate deals damage to that player equal to their total power. That's very narrow in terms of what decks you want that against. Screw um, you, Teamer. <laughs> okay, I, I mean, yeah. 
Am I getting to 11, though, <laughs> with this guy? If they're playing a bunch of the three mana five fives, you might have time to do that. And then when you blow them all up, they're dead. <laughs> this is, no, no, Travis, you're not thinking about this correctly. This is the true counter to the black white tokens deck. Like, you just let them get like three hidden stockpiles and, and a bunch of. Uh, <laughs> what, what's the anointed processions out, right? And you play this. And you just keep plussing, wrathing their board, plussing, wrathing their board, and they just keep building it out, and then you can minus 11 and deal them, like, a million damage or whatever, because they have, you know, 2,000 tokens or whatever it is. We figured it out. And this is the true counter. This is, has been put and seated in the Planeswalker decks to make sure that black-white tokens does not get out of control and standard. <laughs> is it even a deck anymore? Not after this. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Write that down. I think Black White Tokens is probably the best way to ascend. So it might be a deck if there's something worth ascending to. But I haven't seen that there is. There's like a pretty sweet like infest. It's like if you ascended, that you infest just get to infest your opponent. That infest might be modern play. Yeah, that card's spicy. It's definitely yeah. like the going wide mirror. The first person to ascend just gets yeah, exactly some real rewards. But like you have a bunch of other cards that kind of do that for cheaper mana. I guess it depends if minus two minus two matters. Like you have Zealous Persecution and uh, Orzov Pontiff, right? That usually is it's played now. Yeah, well, they did that other card, Radiant Destiny. So I think Which? I think Radiant Destiny. So I think uh, like there's going to be a token ascend deck. It's the it ascend. It does ascend when it enters the battlefield. Choose a creature type. Creature you control of the chosen type. You have plus one plus one. As long as you have the city's blessing, they also have vigilance. Oh, that's the uh, always watching variant. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean that seems reasonable. So maybe the the tokens deck is legit. And then if they ascend it already and they play that, then Angrath is is terrible. So Wizards has already figured out both the the counter strategy and then the counter counter strategy. So we just created three different meta games. We're scripted from here on out. <laughs> we're, it's, it's so good that this is a modern pro tour, not a standard pro tour, because we already broke it. Uh, <laughs> I'm always trying to fit our green guy, and it's like, eh, he gets plus one, plus one, and vigilance. Card well, just can attack. But then you have to name dinosaur. You have to name dinosaur, which doesn't make sense. So, right? Like you can't. Why would you name dinosaur with radiant destiny? So, there's a snapcaster mage variant that's the real spice. It's probably yeah, the best card in the set. The best card I, in the set? Dire Fleet Daredevil. It's one in a red, first strike, 2-1 human pirate. And yeah, it doesn't play you exile an instant or sorcery from your opponent's graveyard. And then you can cast that card. Uh, it, it basically gains flashback uh, out of exile, and, and your mana is, is rainbow colored to cast it. Which is, like, uh, interesting. I wonder if humans would... Black Elvis. in modern. What, what color is this card? It's red. It's a uh, Spiracolata della Flota Funesta. What? <laughs> That's <laughs> they spoiled it in Spanish. So, yeah. Wow. Exactly like it. Sort of uh, two one, but red. First strike instead of flash, and your opponent's graveyard instead of your own. You you actually think this is the most exciting uh, card, Rob, or is this a troll? No, I think this card is good. Like, there's a lot of value to be had here, right? Like, it, a two mana two and first strike pirate human is 
probably like could very well be relevant in standard. Like they printed some interesting pirates, like maybe a red black pirate deck uh, ends up, you know, seeing some standard play at some point. Like you have Kari Zav, they printed a one mana two two pirate that's like got silver gill type ability or whatever, right? So if you reveal a pirate, it's good. They have that black two mana two one pirate that you can like pay two to make a two two menace pirate if you control a pirate from uh, from Ixalan, which was like kind of like borderline uh, playable. And then you have like this guy to like kind of you know steal a harness lightning or a fatal push or um, I don't know some draw spell or whatever. Like I two mana two on first strike is, is usually pretty good with extra value. Yeah, I'm excited about that one too. It's built in two for one. Like they're gonna have spells. I like this in limited a lot. It's like very good on turn two, very good on turn nine. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for in limited cards. Right, I'm just catching up on Reddit. Obviously posting a very low res screenshot of <laughs> our spoiler. <laughs> I think uh I think the lords are very good. And then and, same uh, with the the harbingers. I think those are going to make like once energies out of the format. Obviously, I think what are the har- harbingers? They're they're called forerunners, and it's when they ETB. You search your library for a creature type that sh- like a card that shares a creature type with it. There's one for white, black, red, and green, and then so like the white one, you whenever another vampire ETBs, uh, target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn. Uh, the black one is whenever another pirate enters the battlefield, each opponent loses life. Uh, whenever a dinosaur enters the battlefield, it deals one damage to each creature. And then whenever a merfolk enters the battlefield, you put a one-one counter on the green herald. Like I think the the black and red one are really good. That seems interesting. I think you're correct that the gold lords are also very interesting. Yeah, I think the reprint of Necrotal is kind of cool too. I I wouldn't be surprised if that was able to see some play at some point. A 4-minute 2-2 that just comes in and smites something is nice. This will be, like, probably my most picked uncommon as well on Magic Online. Me too. Yeah, it's probably, like, the best uncommon in the set. Yeah, it might be, like, <laughs> close. It's got to be better than, like, 80% of the rares, I assume. This card's great. <laughs> the best uncommon in the block? Oh, yeah, I would think so. Uh, Charging Monster Sword may have a word for you, but it's pretty dang good. You put them in the arena, Travis. Who comes out ahead? <laughs> well, it is a 5 5 that can attack and block, so it's got that going for it. No, no, it's dead. Destroy target creature. Attack and block. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. Monster Sword also a boss. Reality Smasher is good. I have comment. I agree. Shoutouts to uh, Kalsmer Chick in the chat. Shoutouts to Mikey. Uh, we covered Blood Sun. We think it is very uh, viable and modern. Um, especially might bring back Red Green Tron. Um, so looking at this uh, whole set as a whole, uh, a lot of people wanted to know what we think about it against energy uh, in the standard metagame. Is it too underwhelming to make an impact? And even Saffronovel have made, you know, Talked about maybe perhaps a banning. Uh, always a favorite topic of the show uh, should be in place or, or not. Uh, Derek, you see a major impact. It doesn't seem like we're, we're seeing many cards making a huge impact uh, against the existing decks in the format. Uh, no, like like <laughs> it's all amenity, right? Like 
and that didn't solve anything. And I think when you're when you're talking about energy, solidity is one of the best ways to do that. I just think that it's way too powerful. And and the entire set than uh, Ixalan in, in general on a power level uh, for limited and constructed, but in, I just don't think it's it's going to do that much, uh, which is kind of unfortunate. But it, it looks fun. Like once once Kaladesh is rotated. And on the topic of bannings, like I definitely don't think they need to ban it. Like they've already banned the entire set. They banned what, <laughs> three cards from it. Like what? Like what else do they want? Like, Energy was a mistake. Yeah. R.I.P. Sahili, but whatever. Energy, Energy was, was a mistake. For limited. Banning Smuggler's Copter was the mistake. Oh. That's what led to all of the disasters of the last year. That brings me back. That's when we first started the show. Smuggler's Copter. That was the nut. <laughs> I mean, if you don't ban Smuggler's Copter, you just don't have a bunch of the problems that, that you have. Because, like, now Mardu is able to, like, keep some other decks in check. Um, Fatal Push keeps is, is, like, good. I, I don't know. It's just... Are you seeing Teamer dominate, continue to dominate, Rob? Is this uh, what you're expecting? Yeah, I think so, but I don't think there's like nothing to be done about it. Like the deck's obviously good; it's going to remain good. That that is not a question, <laughs> and very very likely with you know high certainty, uh, it'll remain tier one and likely the boogeyman. But I, it looks like there's some opportunity to play some other strategies that may be able to at least like compete uh, with Teamer if they're. Uh, built correctly, and the rest of the metagame shapes up in a way that, like, makes them favorable. So, like, the dinosaurs stuff looks interesting. Like, if Galta is playable with Registar Alpha, that's... I don't know, that, that's very good, right? Like, potentially a green-green 12-12 uh, Haste Trample is nice. <laughs> it, it seems. And also, there's a bunch of... Like, we kind of went through it. There's a bunch of interesting pirates and a bunch of interesting merfolk. And the Merfolk cards are, like, very grindy. There's, like, a lot of Explore. You have Silvergill Adapt. And then they're able to actually, like, grow at a reasonable rate. And you have cards like Metallic Mimic and all of these other tribal decks that kind of, like, you know, make them a threat uh, in, in some form or fashion so that they do have potential for some nut draws. And, like, Teamer may need to change the way it's built. Like, right now it's running, like, six to seven removal spells. Um, plus sometimes Glorybringer and some amount of Chandra's. And that that just like might not be able to compete reasonably with like a very well tuned uh dinosaur or Merfolk deck. And and like a, you can kind of see that play out in current standard with the guy that white red deck we we saw, right? Where the guy's just like playing a bunch of very annoying threats and seemingly at least the data that he's presenting shows that he's able to beat Teamer at some reasonable rate, right? Where it seems like he's he's favored, and it looks like with the other um, linear uh, tribal archetypes, you could probably get similar um, similar strategies kind of pan out, going from like you know very aggro with potentially like uh, the um, the vampires, like more mid range with, with dinos and more tempo and trick oriented with merfolk. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's things that are interesting. Um, 
but we shall we shall see we shall see i mean i, I don't harness lightning is still like the best removal in the format so <laughs> it's hard to move away from that card Derek, what, what, any, anything you can tell us about your, your prep for Toronto, how you plan to prepare, or are you already uh, seeing things outside of, uh, you know, you're just jamming with your weapon of choice right now? Um, yeah, I've been speaking with Keith, actually. I, I, um, I picked up Grixis Death Shadow, and uh, it's, it's a difficult deck, so I like to get as many reps in as I possible to learn the format. Um, and he took me on to, like, he put me on the, the four-color uh, Death Shadow deck, and actually read Duke released an article today how he looks at uh, the Death Shadow archetype, what cards are good and what colors are good, and that was a really good read. Uh, so if you're looking to play Death Shadow, I'd suggest reading that. But yeah, I just like, um, the format's very diverse, right? Like in Standard right now, there's like two or three decks. Uh, in Modern, you really have to learn what your sideboard cards do, what your main deck does, what possibilities could happen. So I'm just jamming as much as I can and talking to people who have been playing the format longer than me uh, so I can really just gather as much information as I can from oh, Toronto. What's, what's a quick like I don't know two sentence recap about why four instead of three color instead of the Grixis Death Shadow? Um, uh, Tarmogoyf and Traverse the Uvenwald. Okay. Basically. I feel like that was the version at some point, the de facto version. Then people moved to Grixis, and now we're back on, on, on the Traverse uh, plan? I think, I think the four-color version, it's, uh, it's very hard to build properly. And because it's so hard to build properly that you find a lot of people picking it up, not really like identifying the metagame properly, and not really playing it properly based on the metagame. And so it causes them to like shift away from it. Where Grixis is like a, a little easier... You have cantrips, you have your hand disruption, you have your death shadow, and you have sideboard plans. Where the four color version is like a bit more build it as you want. I, I sort of think of it like a like a pod deck. Like the better you are with the deck, or like different options you can have, the better results you'll get. Does it still have to play like weakish cards to hit delirium? Uh <laughs> I'm playing one architect of will. <laughs> The three three yeah like, it, like, cycle yeah like he's just sent me the deck list I'm like this is like why is this in here he's like you just have to hit delirium and I'm like Ugh, like can you not play street wraith oh this is the fifth street wraith and the fifth mistress bobble oh it's hard to fit creature right <laughs> listen. Okay, that, that's modern, fair. right? That's fair. I, I think I don't. Um, I, I don't know if it's fair. I don't say that. <laughs> I, I think so. Anyway, well, I mean, you get you get two card types for one mana. It's like not the worst or whatever. I mean, you do uh, want to be able to traverse, right? I, I think some of your assessment I, yeah, on like, why Tarmogoyf got or why people moved away from chat, like uh, from four color to Grixis, is maybe miss has some holes in it. Like Fatal Push kind of just made Tarmogoyf not good anymore. And then you just wanted to be like a snap fatal push deck to kind of just invalidate the the Tarmogoyf decks. And given that the metagame has moved to like a scape shift, blue red storm, Cheskai control, and uh, Tron, like all kind of rising to the top, you just like want a better clock than you know two Tassiger, four Death Shadow, and and three Grimag Angler or whatever. 
um, the the current Grixis configuration is. So like having Tarmogoyf and being able to attack for four or five on turn three is just like the strategy you need to be able to race those decks because if they do what they want to do, you're just dead, right? That's like a GBX <laughs> mid-range deck. So you kind of like need that Goyf game plan. So I think that's where it's coming from. So if that, those decks go away and that four-color deck gets very popular again, I can see people just moving right back to Grixis and just having Terminate and uh, and Fatal Push as just, like, better answers and more grindiness against the, the Tarmogoyf decks, just because, like, the value is just not there. You just, you want the clock. And against a, a control deck, it's just, it's not relevant. Yeah, I mean, the, the latest, uh, I can't remember who won the last, was they, the one, they won the last Moto Modern PTQ. They were only playing one Terminate in the sideboard. And so even the Grixis lists were getting like more condensed and more value-based. They were playing uh, two Dismembers. And like when I was playing that Grixis list, it seemed like Dismember really turned on, especially when I had two Teamer Battle Rage in the main. But at the same time, like with the four-color version, between Bobble, Fetchlands, and Street Wraith, you basically get to draw nine cards. Right, so you can like look at your top card of your library, fetch away Street Wraith, and then you have access to your graveyard. You have access to what your opponent's drawing and like your thought sees. And that's why I feel like maybe just putting Bobble in the Grixis version might even be better. But um, the four color version, it just seems like I get a lot more options, uh, even though like Snapcaster is probably more powerful than Goyf. But it depends what the metagame like is. It depends what the metagame is. If you're playing Goyce, I want Snapcasters. <laughs> but if if you're playing Chromatic Sphere, I, I want Goyce. <laughs> but like that's the whole point of like the sideboard, right? Like this is I think the four color version might actually just be better. Especially if you can tune your sideboard to be Grixis, because Grixis is so dependent on the graveyard. And you're not? Are, but there are cards like you're playing Goyf and Traverse the Ulvenwald. What are you yeah, talking but about? Spellbomb. You know what Nihal Spellbomb does? Yes, you know Grixis gets to play that card too, right? <laughs> play it then. Show me. <laughs> Do it. Oh, sure. I think that right, well, um, it's you, you. You need to change your four color deck a lot to have a favorable Grixis matchup, and they they don't they don't need to spend a lot of energy to have a favorable Jund or four color Jund uh, matchup. I I don't agree. I think let's battle, Derek. Uh, That's it. We're we're let's doing do it. it. I'll, sh- I'll see you at GP Toronto. Let's go. <laughs> well, I'm not going to play Grixis Shadow. Are you nuts? I want to try and win the what tournament. Play? People love their Tron too much. Still, that needs to go away for Reality Smasher. Reality Smasher is Always good. Does. Always yeah, so is good. charging monsters for. <laughs> We figured it out. If only Charging Monsters for was a true Eldrazi. Alrighty. I'm going to have to read uh, Reed's uh, article because I, I, I played many of the earlier versions of the Four Color Shadow deck with, with Traverse, and some of them, oh man, when they were playing. I, I, doubt, I doubt they're playing that guy anymore, but I was playing uh, like the LSV Raptor, one of the earliest versions, like the Death Touch guy, the one green guy. When, uh, they're not playing that anymore, right, Derek? Gnarlwood Dryad. Yeah. What? They were playing Gnarlwood Dryad. Yeah, because was it blocks Pro Tour, Tour, Eldritch Moon? And, and Death Shadow. Yeah. No, I'm playing two Grim Flare. <laughs> it's, it's, it's evolved, but okay, that gives evolved. What's your blue, Derek? Is it just Stubborn Denial? 
Um, yeah, I'd have to pull up the list. I have Moto open one second. And presumably sideboard cards for backup. Yeah, it's it's Disdainful Stroke, um, Stubborn Denial, and I think that's it. But like some some decks are playing other blue cards. Yeah, like this, you can play the board. Just, it sounds like it's tuned to not lose to red, green, and and Tron. Yeah, well, like Tron, Tron's pretty. Like I feel like Tron is not a hard matchup. Um, for Death Shadow in general, like you can just like if you can go to twelve life on turn one, or like anything else. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, the, the blue is just for the counter spells out of the board. I see you've been um, going to the Mike Flores school of arguments. Oh yes, uh, <laughs> I get to pick my opening seven. I able <laughs> to win every time. I don't know I, what I, we're I, arguing about. So the one reason I did also move away from Grixis is because I think white is one of the better sideboard colors in the format. Like I have two Stony Silence, three Lingering Souls, and a Ranger Vios, which I think. Oh, is so you're Obs on blue? Yeah, basically. Um, I feel like that's better than Jund Blue, probably. Yeah, like, I don't know Reed's exact list that he posted article, but he did outline, like, a lot of ideas that this deck goes over. Um, but, yeah, basically, like, a two Summer Denial on the main, two Summer Denial on the board, two Disdainful Stroke in the board, and that's the only blue. Born blue, blue to Delta anyways, but it's only one Watery Grave. It's basically like you're an OBS on deck. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so you have like three lingering souls and two path or something like that. Okay. Um we'll we'll wrap up the show with our, our final topic of, of the night. Uh, it's something that uh I don't I don't know, I sort of avoid it, just don't really want to give too much attention to it because of uh I don't know, all all, all the drama. It, what's interesting I do want to have a small segment of it, uh, especially we'll, we'll get Travis in here in, in this chat. Uh, lots of Twitter's talk, and it is interesting uh, that a couple, ep- many episodes ago, we had talked about, Brian wanted to bring this topic up, actually. He wanted to bring about talk about safety at Magic tournaments, but from another completely different uh, angle, it was more like, should we, um, this was like shortly after uh, the Vegas shooting had happened, and I don't know if it was prompted by that, but he came. He he thought about it. He t- we wanted to talk about should there be more safety uh, at GPs, and Rob's like, you know, it doesn't feel that way for Canadian GPs at least. <laughs> was was like the summary of that topic, uh, maybe more so in uh, American GPs. And, and Brian agreed, and uh, then we had on Facebook, Jamie Archdeacon reached out on on his either public or on our, our first strike page and how he's really against it um and you know i can see his argument because it's uh the benefits might be fringe because then you have to like set up let's say maybe metal detectors you have to pay people uh you have to pay invest all this money for all the security and what is you know the benefit what is the upside and i think in his perspective he didn't see much upside and, and just makes things a little bit more um I don't know. It just made it less friendly or, or, or to, to jump into a, a GP and more complicated, I would say. Um, you think I summarized like the whole thing correctly, Rob? Am I missing any key bits? 
Yeah, it's fine. Like, just think about like this. This like we don't have these kind of schools in Canada, <laughs> but like there's schools in the states where they have like metal detectors and stuff, right? To to go in them, and it's like, is that doing anything? Like, I'm not sure like what the statistics are, uh, for that. But like you know, we're getting along fine without uh needing that. <laughs> so yeah, I I would be surprised if if the benefits, uh, were like there for the costs and then for like. The publicity kind of hassle that's going to come with it, and then also just like the the time investment and I don't know, like the uh, the perception or whatever, right? It's just it seems weird because you're just kind of like going to a mall uh, in a way, and it's not like I don't know. At some point, we have to stop and trust people. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the the big thing now is the. Um, the whole drama is mainly because everyone, the, a bunch of Twitter people, I wouldn't say everyone, but a lot of Twitter activities going on from at least a dozen accounts and a lot of notable uh, YouTube uh, YouTubers, I guess. They, they have a significant amount, uh, a, a few of them have a significant amount of reach, have a significant amount of subscribers. Um, they've uncovered and they've discovered that a lot of... Like, I believe they're not active anymore, but judges in the past have had um, R registered sex offenders, and they have had they have judged at magic events, whether it be uh, GPs and SEG tournaments. And uh, so, you know, I think the main consensus seems to be like, if the cost is worth it, then then you know why not have background checks um, and. I, I see a lot of interesting debate as to like whether the judge should pay for it. Like some people are saying the judge should pay for it. It's like, it's like, if you want to be a judge, then then you should front uh, the cash to pay for it. I don't see it that way. I don't think that would ever happen, especially since judges are in my eyes, basically like volunteering a lot of the time. They're not getting paid that much at all. And to ask them, I don't think anyone's going to pay for that. I would see like, if this were to happen, I really do see like the TO or, or WOTC, or, or something else, someone else other than Judge Fronting uh, coming up with the cash for this stuff. And, uh, but at the end of the day, Rob, like, people, I just feel like people are making too big of a deal out of it. And if you say that, they're like, oh, it's because you don't care about kids and stuff like that. And that's like their quick snap reply to you. Um, but it, it comes to, to like the guns thing. Like, there are measures that we could take, there's like a certain cost. And I mean, if it's marginal, then then we should just do it. Like if it's like if the background checks are as cheap as some of these uh, Twitter people think it is, and if it's as easy to do, uh, then why not? Uh, I'll go to Rob. How often like do they want to run the check though? Like if you get an approval and you're good, are you just good? Like because your status can change, right? At some point, like do they have to have a, a yearly? Scan or monthly or before any event they attend. Apply to a job. The jobs before and I've done like a background check or, or whatever kind of check. Like, yeah, but it's more like for teachers. Like, what is what do teachers have to go through, right? Because that's kind of like the comparison that people are trying to make. Because you're like in a position of authority over I, I people that are hard. younger than you, right? And that's kind of the concern. It's not just like you're working or whatever. It's that given the audience that you're looking after and how that audience perceives you, that's why they want to, to vet these people in, in a more strict way. 
So like I don't know right, I don't right. know what teachers go through right I don't know if they have regular. Well, like the like we're we're comparing like judges to teachers right like I think there's a little <clears throat> bit of a like argument going on like I think they should be subject. I'm kind of surprised that there isn't already. I don't think it has to be as extreme as like like police or whatever right like. I also don't know what police or teachers go through, but I don't think it has to be yearly like stuff right like I... there's a couple of things working at cross purposes here for me and and one is if i'm a parent and my child wants to play in a magic event and they're 13 i'm not just going to slow the car down shove them out and disappear like i'm going to go play in that event too i'm going to go if i hate magic i'll bring a book in or <laughs> bring an iphone in and phone dirtle like like be a decent parent and keep up with what your kid's doing is, is an aspect of this. And a second aspect of it is why in the world would you think it's okay for somebody that's been convicted of that to be involved with this program? To me, that's just a no brainer. It doesn't matter what it takes. Get them out of there. Like it's going to take some work and it's going to be hard. And we've got to come up with a plan. Cool. Come up with a plan. Take care of it. Like I, I, I would not want someone who has a, a criminal conviction of that nature to be in any position where they're going to be interacting with kids there. I also do think that like, if someone has, has been convicted and they've done their time, we should try to reintegrate them into society, but they don't need to be doing this, right? Like I feel like judging in magic is a privilege and it's something that people work very hard for and put a lot of time into often with little to no reward. It's a passion for them. And I'm okay with that getting cut off if they, if they've had this offense. So like there's, there's the two aspects for it for me. As if I have a child and they're into something, whatever it is, I'm getting into it too. So, like, I really hope when we have kids that they're into magic and not football, because man, I don't, I don't want to. But if that's it, man, I'm into football. We're watching some football games. Um, well, so that didn't happen uh, with my mom. Shots fired. Um, she would just drop me off my chess tournament uh, and, and just like leave, and then like tell like I would. I remember I'd have like. A few quarters so that when I'm done, I would use one of those phones <laughs> and call her to pick me up. So that's how it was. And I definitely was quite young. And I guess I would be, in, would have been in danger if some of these judges had, um, were registered sex offenders for sure. Um, the 90s was a different time, KYT. I, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me, right, to, to be afraid. And I, I think. For my mom, it was just like, you know, whatever, like, who cares? Like, let's, let's get rid of this kid for, for a couple of hours. The information, like, wasn't so readily accessible, right? Like, information is just so widely accessible now that uh, it's hard not to know about it, all, all this stuff, right? Which is why everyone's kind of, like, living with quite a bit more fear, probably, than they need to, just because everything seems so close to them uh, when it's, for the most part, not. Now, that being said... I agree with Travis completely that anyone who has been convicted as a convicted criminal or a convicted sex offender should not be <laughs> involved in the judge program. And yeah, we should, we should remove them. I think that's a very easy win uh, for Watsi or for the judges. Um, the only question is like, who has to pay that cost? Right. And hmm. given like Watsi wants to take this mantle on being a champion of safe spaces and like, they're kind of uh, very, left of center um, policies on inclusiveness. I feel like this is something that they should be looking 
to pay for as it aligns with their outlook on how they want the community to be, right? And it's not really... Like, the TO, sure, they could and they would, but I, I feel like uh, they need to take ownership of their their judge program a, a little more, given that they want this messaging of, of safe spaces to be, like, a, a real large pillar, I guess, of LGS and premier events. Like, I, I was a manager in a sales organization and had to run background checks, and I found a company in the States that would do it for about 15 bucks a person. So, like, we're not talking about a huge amount of money. You can have the people that apply either pay that as part of their application fee, or I'll pay an extra quarter a booster if it means that we're going to keep kids safe at tournaments. Like, sign me up. That's not that big a deal. We're not going to stop playing Magic Man. They can raise the prices on us. They they know they've got us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. It's just a br- uh, breath of fresh air to hear hear it from you, Travis. I mean, oh. Just the, the way people are doing it on Twitter just feels so disgen- disingenuous. And it's just like they're spamming every YouTube creator, uh, every like rele- remotely relevant party. What are your thoughts on this? We're like constantly spamming. And- because they, I think that what that boils down to is that there's an agenda behind this and it's to create controversy. It's not actually to solve a problem. Because if you look at the problem, you're like, hey, here's a solution. Let's just do that. Now we can move along. And like, we should be building pressure for someone to solve that and take that action. But it's that there's an agenda behind it to stir up drama and kind of keep this, you know, magic is scummy. There's terrible things about the magic community going on and perpetuating that. And like, if, if half of the accounts talking about it aren't spam accounts, by the, like, you know, everybody that's doing it's posting it twice under a different username or something <laughs> like that wouldn't surprise me. But like, it's not just about this issue that they've discovered. It's about stirring up poop. Are you outraged if, if like Watsy doesn't come out with anything now that like, you know, a lot of judges have, have, have been shown to, to have a uh, sort of uh, like sexual sex offender past? How, how many are we talking about, right? Like I've, I've avoided reading a lot of this, although I, I couldn't avoid all of it, but like, are we talking about 50% of the magic judges? I don't think so. No. Are, are we talking about ludicrous. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Like we're probably talking about the same percentage, maybe a little more, maybe a little less than we'd have in the general population. And the only issue now is that we know about it. When your mom was sending you to chess tournaments, she didn't know about that, right? Like that just wasn't something that was thought about. Now, as Rob's pointed out because we're in the information age, we know these things, so now we can act on them and do something. So let's just do it, get it handled, and move along. Would I be outraged if Watsy didn't do anything? I'd kind of need to hear a reason. Like, it, it seems like such a no-brainer to me. I, I can't imagine taking some action. But, like, if they could come up with a convincing argument for why they're not going to do it, um, then I'm, I'm certainly willing to listen to them. But, yeah, just do This is easy. Just It's already solved. We solved it. We, we solved standard, and we solved this. If they don't, if they don't want to spend the money, actually, like if that's the the major concern from for them, they can very easily, like, have some sort of program where they push the cost onto the judges. Where it's like, okay, as of 2018, if you want to judge a tournament, you need to get yourself certified or okayed or approved or whatever the process is. And like everyone who gets certification gets like a judge promo pack, which Tawatsi is like, you know, like costs them nothing to print and like two dollars to ship, right? So, like, they've reduced their cost down to $2, and 
also those judges, the $15 or $50 or whatever it is they spent is like an, also a good investment in them. Cause they'll probably get like a $200 pack of like random foils that they can sell to, to collectors and people that want to pimp their stuff. Right. So like in that sense, kind of like everyone's a winner and the costs are all reduced except for the person that wants the pimp stuff. But those people already have more money than they apparently need. So they can pay for this. That, <laughs> so they're weird. also winners, right? Because they want those weird, flashy foils. <clears throat> I don't know. I just feel like everybody would just join the judge program. Then. Cool. And like, just get the, get the printout. Maybe you don't get it then, Derek, and, until you like judge five events or something, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like you can make it so it's not abusable. I, yeah, you just tell them they need a background check in order to be a judge. Yeah, but you, you don't want to like, you don't want to just like disincentivize people from becoming judges because there's already not enough judges. Like, like, let it be abusable. Give everybody the packs. Who cares? We've got the problem solved and more cards in circulation. Like, <laughs> yeah, I also don't care about the cards. They can give one to everyone. It doesn't matter. Yeah, like I'm not. I, I don't care about that. I'm not going to go abuse that. Like, there's just like, uh, there's better ways to do it. I don't know. Like what, Derek? Like just taking fifteen dollars out of someone's pocket who who's like, like trying to get a there, there are thousands yeah. of other volunteer programs across North America that have background checks that have other checks. Use some sort of system that make it so people don't fall through the cracks like this. And I'm like extremely surprised that the DCI and even Wizards have like not done this already. Like we're talking like the YMCA, the Boys and Girls Club of America, like groups. Like you can't just be one of like these volunteer people around youth all the time without a background check. Like yeah, but who pays for those kids. background checks, Derek? Usually the company does. Who? The company. The company you're applying to. Like when I worked with kids, yeah, but that's the problem. Is that the judges don't don't work for Watsi. I understand. The judge program is an independent volunteer program, right. and then they're employed by the TOs or whatever, right? So, if so like, just because you're the first TO to run an event, now you need to front all the cost to background check everyone. No, like if if Wizards wants to step up and make this an inclusive space where they are safe, all these things then like, they should develop some sort of action plan to make sure that these things don't happen anymore. Yeah, like, you we're can't judge about, like, you have a background check, and if you get one, you get a pack of random foils. And I don't really personally care if that pack is worth $200 or $20. Sure, sure. <laughs> it only costs them $2 to do it. So like, literally, you have an incentive program where everyone who signs up is a winner. So just... just You're judge then? You're gonna play. You're gonna play. Judge. No, I don't care. I don't want more cards. I have enough cards. As you can see, I'm good. <laughs> I don't know if they do it anymore, but there were talks of like when there's judge conferences and judge giving talks that if you attended, you were gonna get a package of some sort. And I know some judges travel to these conferences specifically to get that packet of cards. And I don't know if they still do that or if it's as lucrative they, they as it was. They don't do that anymore. But, now, but people were going just for that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were becoming L1s and going to it just, just to get like the $350 like land pack or like a bunch of Force of Wills or whatever it was. Travis but now it's player. like all, you have to do something and have some L2 or L3 <laughs> recommend you, right? Because like all the promos are given through Exemplar, Exemplar program now, which is like a merit-based system that's like peer-reviewed or whatever, so... Everyone's like striving to be the best and show themselves so they can get some sweet swag, which I don't, I don't personally like that system either, but whatever. I'm, I'm getting flashes at uh, 
flashbacks, uh, Travis, because of what you said. Um, I remember my first GPGP Toronto. I guess that's why it hasn't been an issue uh, before. Uh, when I met Kyle Mathers, uh, Carrie Danford, first time, uh, he was with his two kids, and he was in the tournament as well. Uh, Scotty Mack was, was with his son, uh, Alex. They were both in the tournaments as well. And or most of the people playing were guys of our age demographic, right? Like, mm-hmm. not that young at all. Um, probably in our early 20s, late 20s, early 30s at this point, late 30s, and uh, never really had to... Were, and GPs weren't, as well, GPs weren't that big, at least when, when I started playing my first one, and like most of them were with their dads, at, like, between rounds all the time, so... There's also the fact of like, we say they're in a position of authority over a child, much like a teacher is, but they're not. I've gone to GPs and played the entire thing and never interacted with a judge, right? Usually because I scrubbed out. But like, like they have like three minutes to talk to, to somebody at a point. Like, I'm not saying that it, it can't be abused and that it shouldn't be handled. I'm just saying the potential for abuse is much lower than it would be in some of those other scenarios. That said, still take it seriously and certainly take action. But like, as far as I know, nothing's happened, at least not that I've heard of. And it, it would seem unlikely that it could, given the circumstances of, of the events. And like, there are a lot of parents there. There's a lot of other people there. There's limited interaction anyway. Like, you can't really do anything when you're like, no, that's not how that card works. Right. But still, it makes me uncomfortable. Like, fix it. I uh, I remember my first, I think, Grand Prix was GP Toronto, the one that you were talking about, KYT. And I my parents had nothing to do with Magic. They basically dropped me off and did the exact same thing. But uh, I think I was lucky enough to meet some people that basically looked after me when I was between the ages of 14 and 18. And like I think that's another thing is that we have a lot of community members that notice these things and like help us out. Like I don't know specifically if I interacted with people such like that we're talking about but i feel like helping each other and like noticing these things like being active about it is also important whether we actually get like a background check or not or just like look out for the younger ones or even just each other in general but that's the magic community i want where we're all looking out for each other we're having a, a good time playing this game that we love right like that's that's what i'm after not stirring up drama about it like you find an issue certainly alert people about it get her done as we said down here but then like let's move along we've got three mana five fives to cast <laughs> you're, you're, you're gonna have to play this card um yeah and what annoys me it's the whole like oh man burn it down burn watsy down like everybody um you know shit talking watsy at this point like uh, at least everyone on this that's that stirring this drama and uh that's really disappointing for me to, to read or, or, or prominent youtubers making videos like oh you know, there's just drama in this community. You can't make friends. I mean, That's because they suck at magic. Come by my stream. You can watch some good magic, and we're not going to talk about that drama. They just can't, they can't create content unless they're complaining about something. Yeah. And, get, sorry. Go ahead, Derek. You want to get better? Get Rob to yell at you. <laughs> I promise you. It's, what you want. It's, proven, it's proven technique to work, and I'm pretty good at it. <laughs> I just think it's total BS. Um, I I made I made like Travis. You're my friend because of the game, and mm-hmm. we're both content creators, and we're both you know we've we're not as big as some of these other channels or whatever, but we have a, a notable following, and we don't hate each other. <laughs> it's yeah. like, come on. 
it's not that hard. Um, but uh, last question before we end the show, Travis, like what type of timeline would you give them to, to announce something like this? Like people want them to act. Obviously they did it on purpose to like badger them during the holidays. And we both know the likelihood of them like randomly announcing a new procedure for like the following year of GPs was like close to nil. But uh, now that we're like kind of get, getting out of the holidays, uh, is there a time frame you were looking at for them to like make a statement or would you be disappointed? Like, where are you on that? They've, they've got to figure out this program. And again, we figured out one in 15 minutes, right? But like they've got to figure out exactly what it is that they want to do, how they want to handle it. And that's going to take some time. And I don't expect it to be implemented immediately. Frankly, if, if they address it this year, I'm happy. Whoa, this year? This year. Okay. That's all I'm looking for. Like we've been doing this for a long time. It's worked out the way it is. We've got some problems. We want to solve them. I imagine big wheels going to turn slow. And I'd be super impressed if, if come spring, they're like, Hey, here's the new rollout procedure. That's what I'd really like to see. But the, the main thing is that I would like to see that addressed. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that's, that's all I'm saying. Sweet, sweet. Okay. Um, yeah, John, amen to that. I think some YouTubers use this as a way to take attention off of their misdeeds. I mean, they're just... It's just like you, how you presented, Travis, how you presented your concerns and what you want them to do is how I want all these other people to have done it instead of just like hating on each other and shit-talking other uh, creators and, and community members. So, There's a reason we've got a sim chill emote. <laughs> I'm gonna shout out people in the first strike nation: Jonathan Good, Kyle Smirchik, Jay Thomas, Ian, uh, Derek Pite, who's on the show as well, Matthew Kelly, Adrian Richardson. Thank you so much for contributing to the show. Uh, we have been building uh, more and more, uh, providing. It, it's been sort of like a down period in the past couple of months uh, because there, there hasn't been that many relevant tournaments uh so in in november december but that's when we first started uh creating some uh unique uh content where we're specifically pitting uh matchups that uh the nation wants to see uh courtesy of uh gp champion alex bianchi and uh andy rob drop and they've been excellent we've had um death shadow against eldrazi tron we've had um some other matchups as well so we're gonna have we're planning to come out with those maybe twice a month. And uh, again, matchups, modern or standard that the nation wants to see. And if you want to join the nation, go to patreon.com slash first strike, um, $10 to, to join the nation, to get access to uh, exclusive postmortem videos from these matchups, um, exclusive uh, cyborg guys and uh, for modern standard. And if you need extra um, for a specific popular deck that that you're currently playing we can do that as well of course i I talked to travis as well uh earlier haven't mentioned any details but i want him to jump in the fold a bit as well and we're going to talk about some specific uh content off (laughs) out off the air that i'd like to see him make um and uh some some really exciting stuff that will be on the horizon so thank you so much for everyone in the nation um whether you're a producer or at any level of um, contribution. It means a lot to us. And uh, any last words, guys? Derek? No, not really. Thanks for having me on. This is always fun. Okay. Rob? I think Mutiny is going to be good and limited. That's all. 
And Travis, people can find you at Simulan everywhere, right? Simulan everywhere. Twitch.tv slash Simulan. And I'm on Twitter at the same same name. That's S-E-M-U-L-I-N. And uh, Mikey wants some, some legacy in the nation. I'm going to look into that, Mikey, just for you. Uh, we do not have currently as part of our active roster a legacy expert, but uh, we're going to try to bring some, you know, some exclusive limited stuff uh, once Arrivals comes into play. So thank you so much. Uh, if you love this video, give this a thumbs up and subscribe because it thanks a lot. And yeah, huge shout outs to everyone that's watching. Christian, I see all of you. And uh, Dave uh, from uh, Men From Moto, shout outs to you. And uh, we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Thank you.